0: Amen. 2020, here we are, a new decade. Jesus is still the center of it all, right? And uh, fix our eyes on Jesus is our theme, and I hope that 2020 will be a great beginning for us. And uh, pray for me, man. I've been sick for like ever, you know what I'm saying? And my wife had sinusitis, and now she's got bronchitis. And we just like exchanging colds right now. Uh, And so I'm I'm just struggling, you know what I'm saying? I need some prayers, you know what I mean? So my year is not off to an awesome start, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, And then my computer ain't working. What in the world is going on around here? You know what I mean? But, you know, you got to keep moving, right? Uh, Jesus is still the center of it all, even if my computer doesn't work, right? I can still fix my eyes on Jesus. Uh, and we're going to we're gonna explore the book of Hebrews this morning. It's just the first chapter. And uh, before we do that, let's just dive in to pray to our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. We are grateful to be here this morning, Father, and uh, just, uh, just pray that that song that we just sang, it's not just words that come out of our mouths, but... It's really the way we view this world and how we orient ourselves every day, every minute of every day, that we really allow in our hearts, Jesus, to truly be the center of our hearts, of our lives. Uh, Father, we know that there are many things distracting us and vying for our affiliation and allegiance and attention. Uh, But, Father, I just pray that uh, when we come together in mornings like this, that we can be reminded why, why we're here. How we got here, that there's actually a reason we're here, that we're not just some random group of people uh, that just so happen to show up here, but we have, we 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 have worship to give to you. Uh, we want to lift up the name of Jesus uh, in a practical, real way. We want to have worshipful mindset when we walk in here. And I just pray that as we look at this one particular chapter in, in the scriptures, that we can uh, gain an appreciation for who Jesus is, truly. And, uh, and then we could see the honor that we should feel to even be affiliated with Jesus, that he would want to even know us and, and call us his brothers and sisters. And Father, I do pray for people that are, are visiting or just searching. Maybe they made a New Year's resolution, I want to go to church, and maybe they Google the church near me. And Father, I just pray uh, that your heart can can be seen through this worship service that people, people can have a heart to want to connect with you and draw near to you. And um, so help us this morning. I pray your spirit is powerful among us. And I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we'll see if this thing works. Okay. Cool. You want to leave me the clicker though? There we go. Cool beans. All right. I think they're going to do it from upstairs, uh, so amen. When that happens, it'll happen. So I'll just keep rolling. We won't have slides for a minute, um, but I know what they are up here. So there you go. Oh, there it is. Fired up. Book of Hebrews. That's where we are. And uh, we are uh, Hebrews. Why Hebrews? You know, when you think about fix your eyes on Jesus, well, that, that scripture is in the book of Hebrews. And we felt like this would be a great way to kind of, kind of get our year started. And one of the things in Hebrews is like, it's an interesting book of the Bible because after all of this time, guess what? We still don't know who wrote the thing. Still don't know. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know why it was written. We don't even know the date of of when it was really written. Uh, These are are things we don't know. Uh, The reality is some people think, well, Paul wrote it because they, they think Paul wrote most of things in the New Testament. Some people think, well, Barnabas wrote it. Some people think Apollos wrote it because it kind of flows like a sermon and Apollos was a great speaker. Some people think Priscilla wrote it and that, the, that people like, you know, suppressed it because it was a woman that wrote it. But there's a, there's a masculine pronoun in like chapter 11 that probably, maybe it was her husband and her, Priscilla and Aquila maybe wrote it together. But again, we don't know the answer to that, all right? We don't know when it was written, probably before the temple fell in 70 AD, because it probably would have mentioned that, so we assume it was before that. And we don't know who the audience was. You know, sometimes Paul will say, hey, Timothy, I'm writing to you. You know who he's writing to. You know the reason why. Sometimes in Corinthians, hey, you wrote me a letter, now I'm responding. Hebrews, we have no idea. We don't know know what caused the book of Hebrews to even be written. Uh, And most people think, and for years, I thought the the book of Hebrews was really written really exclusively to people who grew up in the Jewish faith and then made the decision to follow Jesus as Lord. That's kind of the way I've always kind of approached the book of Hebrews. But recently I've been kind of persuaded that maybe it's not just for them, that even Gentiles or pagans uh, could benefit from this letter. So maybe it wasn't just exclusively people that grew up Jewish. Maybe it was for people that, hey, they worshiped Artemis, they worshiped Zeus, the Roman gods, and, but, and they also followed Jesus. What those two groups of people have in common, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, what they had in common was they had to leave their old life. They had to leave their old life and affiliate themselves with honestly a group of people that were not always considered awesome to be hanging around with. Christians were very persecuted, looked down upon. And so whether you were worshiping Dionysus and you were going to the feasts of Artemis and if that was your lifestyle, you had a group of people and and you connected with them and that was the way you lived your life. Or you celebrated Yom Kippur and you, you had your bar mitzvah, whatever, you were a Jew Whatever it was, you were used to that lifestyle. You had connection there and it was comfortable. But when you chose to leave that and go follow Jesus, your life changed drastically. And the more you read in Hebrews, you see there's persecution, some people losing their property. It's intense. And so, guess what happens? You start looking back. Maybe my old life was better. I don't know if I want to live for Jesus anymore. This is intense. It was so much more comfortable. And here's the thing that we don't often get, and I'm convinced that this is a part of the fabric of Hebrews that you and I don't naturally get because we live in the West and we think differently. In the West, you know what our culture is more? It's more individualistic. It just is. It's more of a guilt and innocence culture is what like a lot of sociologists will call it. In other words, you know what? When I, the rules are set by kind of laws and rules by society. And if I break the rules, you know what? You know what I need? I need to be forgiven so I can get myself right. I've messed up. I made a mistake. But I need forgiveness for myself so I can move on. And often that's how we even talk about the gospel. You need Jesus as your personal Savior, right? It's a very individualistic way that the West views the world, which you and I live in. We don't even realize it. But the people that wrote Hebrews and the audience, they didn't have this individualistic, personal life. That wasn't the way they lived. In fact, most scholars called their type of culture an honor-shame culture, which wasn't individualistic, but it was about the group. And the biggest thing you wanted was honor from those that you were around. And how do you get the honor? You fulfill your role in the relationships that you have, and you fulfill them the right way. And that way you get honor. And if you mess up, it's not that you just made a mistake and it messes with you. You've actually brought shame on your entire family. You have brought shame on your entire village, your entire people, and that's deep. Okay, that's deep. So, in an honor-shame culture, which is where they live, that's where they live. They don't get this personal, you know, thing that we get. It was totally different. And so, for them, when they chose Jesus, it, they, they, they brought shame upon their families and their, and their towns, and that was hard for them. And, 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 it, and you lacked honor by following Jesus and hanging out with these Christian people. These are a bunch of ragabonds. They don't even—what are they doing, right? And so— And so, that dynamic is in there. And so, what is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's trying to say, you have not lost your honor. There is one who deserves honor in this world, and guess what? You're his brother and sister. Don't feel that shame. You are connected to Jesus, and he is most worthy of honor. So, don't give up your faith. And that's, I think, woven into the message of Hebrews as as well. And so well, how, do you, how do you not look back? Again, the theme, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Take note of Jesus. Think carefully about Jesus. Consider Jesus in our good old Message Bible. Take a good hard look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of everything we believe, right? Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. These are all passages from Hebrews 3.1 and 12.2, and that's where we get our theme for the year. So let's dive in. <clears throat> we're going to go in Hebrews 1. Michael already read this for you, so you're ahead of the game, right? But let's look at this concept here. In the past, notice how he says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, but then he says, in these last days. It's kind of a, he makes these anti- antithetical statements within his statement. It's kind of cool. So he, in the past, in these last days. You know what else we get? God spoke to our ancestors or forefathers, but now he's speaking to us, Right? He used to speak through prophets many times, many different ways, but now just by his son, okay? And and this whole concept of, of God speaking at many times and in various ways, it's also translated in many portions or fragments. Think about how God has worked through the years. God took 15 centuries to somehow communicate to people, And he used many different ways, didn't he? We're talking tablets. We're talking burning bushes. We're talking chariots of fire. We're talking, hey, Hosea, I need you to marry a prostitute. What? Because you know what? That's the way I feel about Israel. They cheating on me. You're going to live it out in real life, and you're going to explain that to the people. Whoa. God used many different ways to communicate to people, to us, Right? Over the years, he took time to do it, right? And I appreciate this quote that I read. It's true, I think. He chose not to overwhelm his people by unloading everything at once, right? But rather slowly unveiled his identity, his purposes, his plans to Israel, and the world over a period of centuries, allowing time for absorption and digestion of divinely disclosed truth. I think that's very helpful to understand how God's kind of thinking and what he was doing. But let's look at these concepts a little more in the time that I have this morning. <clears throat> but he's spoken to us by his son. And it's almost like he's saying, okay, the prophets did all this stuff, He used all these fragments, because no one prophet had the big picture. That was the thing. They just had a portion. They could just only bring their portion. Isaiah, had, he could give you what he, he had, but he didn't know the big picture. But now Jesus, now that the son has come, it's almost like a it's almost like drum roll, you know, like, oh, he's about to unveil something, right? The curtain is about, what is up with the son? Well, the first thing is, he is heir of all things. Wow, okay. In an honor-shame culture, again, heir. Who's the heir? Who gets the honor, right? And, and, and it, oftentimes it's the firstborn son or whatever. And so he's making this point, you know, Jesus is the heir of All things and if you want to look deeper man I wish I could do this every day but we don't have the time but why don't you take a look at Psalm 2 maybe in your small group maybe when you go to Starbucks tomorrow and and look for the, the treasure the drosh right it's in there right this is a psalm that talks about sovereignty right and this was known as a messianic psalm a psalm that gave you a glimpse into this future of what would happen. And notice, there's this concept of, you are my son, today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make what your inheritance? The nations. And the ends of the earth, right? Your possession. This was a psalm that was very familiar to, to any, 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 any Jewish person for sure. But this concept is, yeah, the, this son that's, that's prophesied, that's the, the, the Messiah, he's going to get all the nations under him. Well, you know what? The writer of Hebrews is saying, uh, Jesus, yeah, he's the son, but he gets everything, not just the nations, everything. And, and this is the cool thing that we even learned when Marty was here. Oftentimes, the, the writer uh, will give you a little smidgen of something and expect you to know where the scripture is so you can dig a little deeper. But that's pretty cool that the son isn't just the heir of the nations, but he is the heir of all things. And if that wasn't enough, through him, he made the entire universe. Okay. That's a pretty big statement right there. He made the entire universe. The agent of creation is the son, right? In the Old Testament, when you look at the creation, they talk about wisdom was there. When you look at the oral tradition of the Jews and the Mishnah, the Torah was personified, and that was the agent of creation. In John's gospel, it's pretty cool. The Word was with God in the beginning, right? So this Jesus is the agent of all creation. He is worthy of honor. There's no shame in being connected with him. He is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance of God's glory. This is almost like a, a visual. If you were a, a, a Jewish person, you would think about the temple filling with God's Shekinah glory. The entire temple filled with his luminous, visible presence. The luminous, visible presence of God is no longer some, something in it that you see in a temple. It's Jesus. That's who he is. He is the visible, luminous presence of God. And he is the exact representation of his being. And the concept here is where we even get the word character, right? It's like this imprint, like a wax seal, like a branding iron, like minting a coin. Like this is the concept he's getting at. What you get out of God, how do you know what God looks like? He imprinted it in Jesus. And that's who Jesus is. He is the exact representation of God. He's worthy of honor. You don't need to be ashamed. Don't look back. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Sustain, another word, maintain, another word, govern. In other words, Jesus is actively involved in the way the world works. This isn't like the Greek god Atlas who just kind of holds things on his back. Stuff goes on on the world and he's just holding it. No, 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 no. He's, Jesus is actively involved, governing, sustaining by his word. You don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. And not only that, he has provided purification for sins. Hold up. High priests do that in only one day of the year. uh 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 Jesus is the greater. And this is a theme he will explore a lot more in the future chapters. But Jesus, by himself, through himself, was the one that made purification for sins. He purged the problem between man and God. Sin That problem, Jesus dealt with it in himself, through himself. Only he could do that. Wow, so he's the greatest of all high priests. There's no need to be ashamed of this particular Jesus. And he sat down. You don't sit down until you get the job done. Jesus sat down. He got the job done. And where did he sit? He didn't sit in the corner. He didn't sit at the kiddie table. No, 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 no. He sat at the right hand, again, the place of honor. This is the place of co-authority, of honor, that you cannot get any higher. And that's where Jesus is seated. All these other priests are scurrying and making uh, sacrifices for their own sins because they're messed up. Then they got to sacrifice for the people, and they got to do it day, 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 day. Jesus did it once, sat down next to the king. Why are you ashamed of him? Why would you ever think about walking away from this person? And he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Because I only got like 20-something minutes, I can't get all up into the superior to the angels. If you want to learn a little bit more about that, you got to come back Wednesday night. (laughs) Teaser, right? Some people say, well, there was this widespread angel worship going on. Maybe, but he doesn't really deal with it later on in the book. I don't know if that was the big, like a major problem, like a heretical issue of the church. I think he was just saying angels are amazing. <laughs> angels gave uh, Moses the, the, the laws When you read Deuteronomy, Angels are incredible. One angel can wipe out 180,000 soldiers. We know all these stories. Angels are powerful. He's not diminishing the power of angels, but he's saying, yeah, Jesus, he's even more superior to them. And at the end of the day, to just wrap up this concept here, you know, angels are the many servants of God sent out, but Jesus is the one son who's sovereign overall. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. So respect the angels, but wow, Jesus is worthy of so much more. Why look back? Why go back to your old life? Why would you ever, ever want to go back to your old life when you, when you have the ability to have a relationship with the Son? Of the living God and that is the spirit of the book of Hebrews that we will be exploring and that is why instead of looking back to our old lives we must fix our eyes on Jesus he can sustain your life he can take he can deal with the sin in your life he can help you he can help make sense of the world because he's the one who is the agent of creation of this world why go anywhere else fix your eyes on Jesus. And let's pray for the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> Father, I'm just, uh, I'm just humbled to even have the opportunity to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I pray for all of us to appreciate his worth. I pray that we will not allow any person or any pursuit in this earthly realm take precedent or preeminence over Jesus in our lives. I pray that we humbly give him his rightful place that he deserves in our lives. I pray that we will fix our eyes on him. I pray that when we take the bread into our mouths, that we remember the body that he lived in. How he loved people, how he served people, and how people like us nailed him to a cross. And that body hung on a a cross, totally unjust, but Jesus was willing to go there for us. Father, I pray we remember that. I pray we remember as we drink this juice that we remember the blood he shed for us. Because the way you set things up, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. We're grateful for his perfect sacrifice, and we're grateful that that wasn't the end of the story, and we're grateful that he will return to all of us and take us with him even though we don't deserve it. What an amazing story that I pray we do trust in, and we celebrate this morning. We pray this in his name. Amen.